0: All right, here we go with another episode of the Dietitian Against Diets podcast. I want to remind you all, my name is Rashawn DeThorne and I am the host. Um, I'm always bringing on powerful guests um, and I can't wait to introduce you to one I have coming on today. But before I do, I have to acknowledge one of my podcast partners that has been with me since day one, um, Janie's Mill. So one thing about Janie's Mill, reason why they are a podcast partner, because they are an organic family farm um, that combines Better tasting with the, better tasting foods when it comes to their grains, but also ensuring that the quality, the agricultural practices, and the nutrition are top quality. Speaking upon their work, they actually have a unique grain milling system where they use cones, cold stone grain milling, which makes sure which makes it to where the grains are still having the capacity to hold all their nutri- nutritional value and they're great when it comes to their texture and their taste when it comes to baking. Now, their products range all the way from a variety of corn, wheat, rye, oats, buckwheat, and ancient grains, which means there are a lot of fun ways to bake with their goods. Actually, if you go to their website, they have a plethora of recipes that goes from homemade scones all the way to homemade chocolate chip cookies. So go on the website and just see more about their products, how to utilize their products, and also the work that's been done behind the scenes. Go to the website at www.janiesmill.com or find them on Instagram at Janiesmill. Well, 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 welcome to another episode of the Dietitian Against Diets. As always, my name, introduce myself appropriately. My name is Rishonda Thornton, the host of the show. And I want to introduce you to a nice young lady. Her name is Karen Washington. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Karen before I let her take over the mic. So she has a lot of unique um, qualities, a lot of unique skills. And she has used it for massive um, positive moves. So as a farmer, she has used her skill and her passion to bridge the gap um, of community, community needs. Um, Also, along with being a community activist in New York, as a New Yorker, she has done the work of combining uh, leadership roles within organizations, standing up for guarding preservation and protection. She's also the co-founder of an organization called Black Urban Growers, which is an organization committed to building networks and community support for growers in both urban and rural settings. With several other achievements, such as being a TEDx speaker and then voted uh, one of Ebony magazine's 100 Most Influential African Americans. That's pretty huge. She continues to move her mission to undoing racism and injustice in the food system. So that brings upon a very strong platform because when we think of injustice, we sometimes we don't look at it in the light of the food system, but this is what she does. So I wanna say welcome, Karen, to the show today. Thank
1: you so much for having me and being here with you and your audience today.
0: Yes. It's, it's such an honor. And it just amazes me when I see different um, individuals that have just kind of st- not just stepped into um, a role, but they have someone created their own role or created their own niche. And I myself, you know, when I think of injustice, I don't really connect the food system. So obviously being a dietitian, you would think that I should kind of be able to thread those together. But I think that's why I have individuals like you on to kind of help me and help others really understand what that means and how can we make change. So I wanna just kind of start off the conversation um, and just even going to how we, we pivoted to like this pathway of um, bridging that gap. Now, I would like for you, if you can discuss your lenses when it comes to inequality in regards to food, accessibility, and the connection to individual success? Because I know it's all interconnected.
1: Yeah, so um, when I first started, I never thought I would be a farmer, and my relationship to food was that it grew in a grocery mm-hmm. store. So it really wasn't until um, I moved to the Bronx in 1985 and had a backyard, and I decided I'm going to grow three things, tomato, eggplant, and um Collard greens, of course. Of course. And so it was the tomato that changed my world because prior to that, a tomato was pink, had no taste, and it was in the grocery store. But when I grew it and it was red and on a vine and I bit into it, woo, baby. Such a difference. Such a difference. And then being a physical therapist too at that time, you know, there was a relationship to food and health. And I say that because a lot of my patients were African American and Latinx and they grew up on farms. And so when I would say to them, you know, I'm a farmer, I'm a grow, they was, oh, Ms. Washington, how could you? That's hard work. But then when I would mention food, all of a sudden they said, Ms. Washington, you're right. We never went to the grocery store for food. Hmm. Um, we went to our, you know, out on the farm and got our food and we were never sick a day in our life. And now look, look at me. And so now, you know, from just hearing those stories, I just saw the correlation between food and health and the fact that I lived in a low-income neighborhood, which was succumbing to a charity-based subsidized food system of fast food, junk food, and processed Mm -hmm. food. I decided to challenge the food system and to peel back to find out why in affluent neighborhoods the food is much better, it's healthier, and in neighborhoods of color the food is is garbage. And so, you know, really peeling back to find out that the food system is, is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. It's a mm-hmm. caste system based on race, demographics, and economics.
0: Yeah. You know, when you, what you just said, I, I'll tell you this one time, I, uh, one of my good friends, she's in the military and she came to visit in here in St. Louis, you know, I sort of took around in nice places to the, to the parks and the big buildings and they have a lot of history here and, we came, it's, the way it set up, it's like a set up. there is uh, kind of a, you go through one street and it's a totally different world from the street before. So we're driving and I'm coming up to the light, just waiting, but it made me stop and just look around my environment. And with this, that, that particular line is the division between low income and high income. But what I saw in that corner, the four corners, I saw a KFC, I saw a Jack in a Box, and I saw a Dollar Tree. And, and I just paused for a moment. It was like, well, no wonder people or you know, their health is at the you know always uh, falling apart because they're surrounded by fast foods, um, foods that are uh, you know processed. There's no like fresh market. There's no fresh grocery store in those areas. You know, so what you just said just really kind of just kind of reminds me of some things I've seen just sometimes right in front of your face, but you don't recognize. But you also don't recognize the ripple effect of how it is affecting those communities.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been a champion on and talking about food issues like that, because again, why in the greatest country in the world where we grow enough food and we waste enough food, that food is not getting down to the people that need it the most. And I think why what's happening with COVID has just exacerbated the problem and bring it more to the forefront.
0: Yes, I, I agree. I totally agree. Now, when you have kind of, you know, the combination just being surrounded by individuals that they were in that you know, they recognize, the, you know, the value of food and just, you know, the history of it and seeing now and you taking that leap into like going deeper besides, you know, planting your tomatoes and eggplants and greens. um, You also just saw that the pathway really was it was more than just planting in your own garden or even more than just like volunteering for organizations. You decided to take like more leadership roles, you know, and so. I know that, you know, as a people, we always, you know, know that we want to create change, but you happen to recognize that you need to be in, in that decision making seat to make real change. Um, and so with you being in certain leadership roles in different organizations, coalitions, and even creating your own organization, how much of a difference do you think is made when you are on the other side in regards to the one who's making the, the driving the direction in which that path, that mission or that organization is driving now?
1: That's a good question because for so long, you know, we have always been on the other end of the receiving end and that in the Mm decision-making end. And and I say that as people of color, I mean, people of color, there's always this sort of savior mentality that whites are supposed to come in and save us, you know, save us from this food um, crisis, save us from um, inequality when it comes to, to economics and wealth. And so for me, it was really sort of um, really unlocking the history around food and farming. I mean, I'm 66 years of age, so growing up, even to think that I would become a farmer was was not in the in the cards. Because, again, if you look at history, it was always re- equated to slave work. Until I was able to again uh, pull back the false falsehoods on why we were brought here. We weren't brought here because we were dumb. We weren't brought here because we we strong. We were brought here because of our knowledge of agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so when you start talking about that sort of history of black and brown to black and brown young people to understand that, listen, listen to me, the food that we're eating, this country eats, was built on the backs of enslaved and indigenous people. The food economy, the cuisine, the tools, the methods, all came from our ancestors. And so when you talk to young people, black and brown people about that history, all of a sudden they're empowered. They're empowered. And then also to let them recognize the power is going back to the land because mm-hmm. for so long we have gone away from the land. And as a result, we've lost our power, our legacy. But now I'm starting to see things change where people understand the power of land ownership because that is your legacy. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's something that you want to leave for generations to generations. And number two, growing your own food is powerful.
0: It is. And it, just what you said, like, because when we were brought to this country, you know we were forced to you know be in the land and, and, and we tried to work our best to not have to be forced. So now it's like we want to get as far as far as away from the thing that really what it, what's empowers us. And that's farming, and that's creating our own food world around us. You know And so I just think this is kind of a paradox of how we, as a black people have tried to shift, but we've become so disconnected. We've become so disconnected to food, what it means, how it's self perseverance, um, how like you say it's self-empowering. Um, and food is more than just what's the cheapest, what smells the best, what looks the best, but what's more nourishing, you know, and having the ability to grow that on your own. I mean I think that's that's very, very valuable and I again, I can I under I see why you see such a drive to help the younger generations reconnect to their history, reconnect to, you know, some skills that we should be proud of, right? Instead of like shying away from it.
1: Definitely. I mean, I live in the Bronx um, and out of 62 counties in the state of New York, the Bronx ranks 62 as the most unhealthy, unhealthiest. We are surrounded, like I said, a charity based food system of, not only fast food, junk food, uh, and processed food, but we also have the food pantries and soup kitchens. And so um, when people are entrenched with that sort of mindset, they don't understand the, the value and cost of food. As a farmer now, you know I had to re-educate my, com- re-educate my community because they're so used to get everything free. And so mm-hmm. as a farmer, I had to explain to them that there's a cost and value in the food that I'm bringing down. Um, to this farmer's market. Because as a farmer, I have to pay for room and board and have to pay for the seeds. And there's of course about harvesting and labor. And again, that sort of education is really not taught within our community, that's number one. Number two, I'm on the verge of really talking about our community, about social capital and communal wealth, because no one comes into our community to talk about entrepreneurship, talk about investment, talking about how to own a business, how to invest, how to save, how Mm -hmm. to repay credit. And so, you know, me and my friends have taken upon that liberty to start having those conversations because, again, time and time again, we have never been at the forefront at at the decision-making process. Again, we always ask for a seat at the table, but I say a seat at the table means nothing if we don't have the power to make decisions. And if we don't have the power to make decisions at a seat at the table, it's nothing more than window dressing and tokenism.
0: Wow. Hmm. Now, I would say here in St. Louis, um, I have we had there have been a, a, a nice handful of organizations and even like um, more leaning towards um, black organizations that have done have really kind of honed in when it comes to urban farming and utilizing different spaces that are non-traditional farm, farming ground and even above ground. Um, now, it to me, is starting to, again, help. Um, those communities to teaching them how to farm on their own, but also h- how to build their business or, or come together and create a farmer's market. Now that's in St. Louis. Now I'm only speaking for that region. Like, so what are some things in New York that you've seen transition and change with this influx of this new, like understanding of urban farming and what that looks like and what it means?
1: So there's so many aspects of urban agriculture. And I say that because in the beginning it was mo- mostly soil based, but again, with technology and creativity, you're starting to see nuances in terms of people growing on um, there's rooftop farms, there's vertical farms, there's greenhouses, there's aquaponics, there's hydro- hydroponics. There are all types of growing mechanisms. What mm-hmm. I don't want to see is people with power and privilege, especially around the, the technology group, where they have access to money and they have the backing of, of millions of dollars to so come in and push aside. People have already been doing the work and then also claiming that their method is better. There's mm-hmm. room for everybody, you know? Let's move room for everybody, and I just want to make sure that we have a food system that is just and equitable. Uh, for so long, I have seen what gentrification has done and displacement has done for people of color, and I just want to make sure that that does not happen on in the backs way. of those that have been doing the work.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a slippery slope, too, because I've seen that, too, in the backdrop of it. And um, again, when you're bringing a product or bringing a service to a group of individuals that that, you know, there is a barrier between what they know, and what they don't know, it's easy to kind of take advantage of that or use it in a way of shifting in your to for your own good of what it is what you want to do, you know, versus how you actually meeting them and trying to support them versus the other way around and again are they on the receiving end or are they a part of the decision making um a buzzword and I mentioned this to you earlier um is food justice and I know we're literally just speaking through it just through this conversation but if you can like put in like Clear in a clear way to people that have heard of that word, those words together, but don't really know what that means. Now, how can you define that on a micro and a macro level?
1: Well, there's three sort of words that people are using in the world. is food justice, food sovereignty, and I coined the term food apartheid. So let's start with food justice because I tell people it doesn't exist. And so people says, what do you mean it doesn't exist? Because the definition of food justice is the transformation of the food system to eliminate the disparities, that we see. And so when you see that word transformation, food justice is not a passive movement, it's an active movement. And people Mm -hmm. have been using that word to pad their grants, their RFP. And I say, in order for you to do just food justice, you have to be actively working on dismantling the social injustice that you see. Social injustice around, again, race, gender inequality, uh, social injustice about lack of access to land, social injustice about not having communities be self sufficient and self reliant in the decision making, um, inequality when it comes to wealth and economics. And so these are the things that some of the things that people should be actively working on dismantling if you're doing food justice. When it comes to food sovereignty, again, food sovereignty was done by um, a group of peasants in the global south. Via La, La Via Campesina, which really talks about self-governance mm-hmm. of, of people within their community to be able to govern the way they eat, the way they farm, the way they obtain land. And again, the goal is really working on dismantling the capital, extents, the capital injustices where, where they extract rather than putting power back into the hands of people that need it the most. And the last is food um, apartheid. And I coined that term food apartheid because people have been using the term food deserts to, mm-hmm. sort of to describe where we live. And the bottom line is that when people talk about food de- deserts, they're talking about limited access to food, where in fact, we do have food, we don't have healthy food options. So I coined the term food apartheid because I want people to start having these hard conversations around race, around economics, uh, and around um, demographics. And if we don't have those hard conversations, then we continue to have a society that remains stagnant and power, powerless.
0: Hmm. Thanks for breaking that down. Um. Again, so many people, again, you they'll see hear those words, don't know what it means. That means they don't take the time to make any change or to learn how can they be a part of it. Versus just oh, I know about, you know, the food justice, but that's as far as it goes. So, I'm what? Thanks for like just. Breaking that down in so many ways. Um, let's talk about the power of um, a stereotype using leverage. You know, you have basically been able to be a part of platforms, but also build platforms. Um, and you you know you mentioned you really highlighted that you know through your your the journey you took us through your TEDx um, talk I think it was 2000 maybe eight years ago so a couple years ago mm-hmm. but it's still there so anybody want to listen to it please go listen to it. It's very, it's very enlightening um but you talk about you know but you have built this platform that now has allowed space to determine how things should be done or viewed and that's what we build platforms for because we create, we readjust, not readjust, but we redefine whatever stereotypes are out there and create our own definition for it. Um, so clearly you recognize this from the beginning when you were talking about your journey of getting up to, you know, talking to an um, individual that has the power and, and speaking to them about how to make, make change. Um, so what was the, like, the driver and the mark to claim this territory when it comes to uh, using your leverage?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, as being a person of color, um, there the stereotype still exists. I mean, I remember um, back in the day when um, I had a big afro. I had a, I had a fro, and so the interpretation again is his. You know, this um, woman with a fro, um, and you know, anytime we try to to sort of um, project. Our thoughts is always being, um, aggressive
0: mm-hmm. or we're
1: angry. And so, um, there came a time where as a community organizer, we were meeting the, um, the head of the commissioner of NYPD because at that time crack cocaine was very prevalent and we have been asking the police department to shut down the um, drug dens and had no um, cooperation whatsoever. So again, going through the cha- you have to understand how things work. There's always chains of commands that you have to go through before you, before you see the top person. Mm-hmm. And so we went through all those chains of commands. So it came to now, okay, now we at your door, Commissioner. So you walk in, we all have big froze, And the first thing, you know, again, the stereotype is, oh no, here they are again, complaining. However, what we did, which was really, really important, is that, okay, people look at you first. You walk in the first thing they see is your appearance and the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. That's number one. So then how do you erase that? Well, the thing is, is that we stepped forward and we, saw, we, we started to articulate the facts, the figures, so that he could do nothing but listen to what we had to say. He sat down, he listened, because we didn't go in there yelling and screaming and hollering. We sort of turned it around. We went there projecting our facts, statistics, data to show him exactly what we were talking about, where the dens were. That man sat down. He said to us the next day, those dens will be the dens will be closed. And sure enough, they were closed. And so from that point, I just learned the again, how to leverage how to leverage your power in such a way because, you know, the first thing as a black person, the first thing people they key in is on the color of your skin. So Mm -hmm. there's all these preconceived notions, especially those who only know the black experience from what they read in a paper, what they see in TV or the movies. And so if that's your frame of reference of what it is to be black, then of course you have these stereotypes. So I use that leverage because I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna, you're coming in because you're already figured me out, but you don't know me.
0: Have no, not a clue. And
1: that is positive.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's you. very clever and, and a clever in a way that it's not even um, rocket science. It's the fact that you have to go through this other barrier that's just your presence and to just help him to see so something he didn't even, he wouldn't even thought about, you know, in regards to the information you guys were providing him. I'm sure he was... <laughs> Really taken a by it, and really understood that you guys yeah. were serious, not just coming coming there to raise double hockey six but to stand up for what's going on in your community. So that's, again, I, I totally get understanding why when you're talking about not just breaking down those barriers, of stereotypes, but using your leverage to do so. Yes. Um, so this not only t- took you um, to the commissioner, but this has also allowed you to, to stand on your platforming kind of be separated in a way, you know. So we're gonna, you know, I, I one of the questions I do wanna ask you is, you know, you had the opportunity to, you know, go to the White House. You know, you've you've been um awarded, you've been recognized as, as one of the hundred one of the hundred influential at first I thought it was influential um black women, but it's influential African Americans. So it is across the board men and women. So that's, that's grandiose to me. So just kind of, you know, for those who like, you know, hear your story like you've kind of seeing like what you've been working for kind of coming to fruition was recognized at this level, you know, kind of tell us, you know, how, 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 what kind of experience was that for you to meet the first lady and to be recognized in one of the most popular and well-respected black um, magazines in the U.S.
1: Well, for me, first of all, I'd like to just acknowledge the ancestors because I stand on the shoulders of greatness. Mm. <laughs> um, I've had great parents and great family and friends that continue to are, uh, continue to exhibit you know positive images for me um I'm very humble by what what I do but I'm very comfortable in in questioning what's wrong you know i f- I feel that um the you know saying the truth and bringing the truth is so so powerful and so there are times when I'm in spaces where by um the truth may hurt, but I want always want to try to come from a place of love, and and for people to understand how painful and how harmful certain situations are. And so I've always used that sort of sort of platform to um, to challenge to challenge systems as number one. But also, you know, for so long you, you you've always told, been told what you can't do hmm. and not do. And I've always used that as the mechanism to turn that around and say, I can do. And so what I tell you, a lot of young people out there, again, first of all, that they will find their voice to stand up for truth and justice is really, really important. And then also to throw your dreams out to the universe. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things that have happened in my life because um, I was able, I, I'm first of all, I'm very spiritual, that's number one, but able to put out my hopes and dreams out to the universe so that someone can hear it. You know, someone can yeah. hear it. And um all the accolades that I've gotten is all well and good. But for me, I said, greatness cannot happen to, to and this me personally cannot happen to me while the people behind me are still suffering. And so, um, like I said, those accolades are all well and good. You know, I just hope I use like you said, that platform to open doors for the next generation of, of people. But again, I can never, never uh, sort of um, leave the fact that again, it's the ancestors that continue to drive the work that I do. That that they have made a road for me to do the work that I that I have done, that I continue to do, and I can cannot uh, disavow that that legacy. I mean, I I feel them with me all the time, and so I just I just give them thanks as well as the creator.
0: Yes. Well put and well, humbly and empowerfully put. And even you're, you are actually, you know, building a legacy. You know, I know that you are the co-founder of the Black Urban Growers. And I mean, from what I see, it's, it's Black leadership, you know, in movement of, you know, and empower, in empowering in, into food justice. So is this that one of the, the fruitions of the work that you're doing to how you want to expand that platform and, you know, help others and this, you know, to help move and drive them and connect them all to where oper- more we can, you know, break down the walls and barriers that uh, minorities face when it comes to food injustice.
1: Yeah, well, I think as a leader, so started Black um, Bugs, Black Urban Growers, back in 2010 when we had the first Black Farmers and Urban Garden Conference in the country, um, and that was predicated on the fact that, again, looking at the overall census. Um, I would just say from, from my point of view, in New York City, 55,000, 50, sorry, 50, at that time, 2008, mm-hmm. uh, 50, 55,000 white farmers, only 116. Fast forward, 2021, 57,000 white farmers, only 139 are black. And if you look at the census across the country, we are diminishing in numbers as black farmers. So we had this conversation because no one was addressing the the issues that were affecting the black community and not only in terms of land and food, businesses, education, economics, all those driving forces that no one from the black community were talking to us collectively. And so it was an eye opener. We had over 500 people at that time, mostly mostly young people for the first time to be able to go to a conference and see people that look like them. Mm-hmm. Instead of always having farming, um, gardening and farming conference with a white perspective, and so uh, we didn't have it twenty twenty because of COVID, but we're going into transition because again, I started that with friends back in two thousand and ten, and so right now we are reevaluating. For me, it's always about shifting the leadership back into new people, to new to to the young people to carry on. Um, I think sometimes we get a we we sort of be in places for too long and never allow new voices and young people uh, to come. So right now we're in that transition period where we are inviting new leadership, which is really, really good. Mm -hmm. One of the new platforms that I am working on is um, the Black Pharma Fund, um, which started back in 2019. So with the Black Pharma Fund, which is in New York, it's New York based now, what we're trying to do is again, um, take down the capitalistic system again that has been extractive that has not met the needs of black farmers and black businesses and look at ways that we can support our black businesses and black and 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 black farmers without the first question that's being asked is show me your credit you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, and being denied loans, or if we do get loans, the interest rate is so high that mm-hmm. you have to wind up mortgaging your house. And then the last part of that, the Black Pharma Fund, which is really critical, like I said in the very beginning, is the educational piece. Okay. is getting Black folks in the, in the room and starting educating on how do we base build, how do we do social, social capital and communal wealth? So that at the end of the day, our resources come back into our community and that being and that being taken out of our community.
0: Hmm. Well, Ms. Karen, I love the work that you're doing. It's, you know, it's, it's so it's so um, I guess it's empowering, you know, when, you know, you find people that are just really, really driven to help create change for others. And, you know, you know, it's, it's almost with what I do. So I'm sure, you know, I'm a dietitian, but I do way more than just tell people what food is healthy and what's not. I understand there's a connection and I was very similar to a quote that you made you said "Your for you is feeding people's body um and and they're also their spirit you know and when, when it comes to just back to what you're saying in the beginning like it's more than just about planting food it's what it represents for you what it what kind of opportunities it represents what you can do with it you know we as a as a people general, but especially as as minority people, we have to understand, you know, how to redefine our value and how to come together and recognize what is kind of one of the the links that's crumbling, that's preventing us from being successful, being healthy, whatever it is, as far as just us thriving, is the food. It's the food system. You know, how we interact with it, how do we value it? Um, So I, 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 I'm just inspired to just have someone else at the, having someone is having a conversation that's sitting around food, but sitting around in a way that how can we create change for those communities that truly, truly, really need and create opportunities and spaces for them. So I really do appreciate that. Um, as we're getting ready to close, unfortunately, I know you just spoke upon several different, um, th- several different, um, projects that you have. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to help. How can people learn more about you, find out about certain uh, organizations you're a part of, their coalitions, um, and so how they can be a part of, how they can learn, be educated, be a part of the conference. Like, How can people just see what's going around in your world? Yeah,
1: well, I have a Facebook page, Karen Young Washington. That's my Facebook page. I have a, also a website, karenthefarmer.com, um, uh, my farm, risingrootfarm.com, and, and also um bugs black urban growers See? and then also black um the black Farmer fund so but um i'm all over the place i some somebody said oh we google you i didn't know anything about googling people but um uh, yeah i guess you can do that too. well
0: i i googled you and i'm like wow she is doing a lot but i love it because you're not just doing it has nothing to do with you it's what you're doing for others and it's only coming, up, coming from you know what others did for you. So you're just passing the torch. That's what yeah, you're doing. You yes, and I so appreciate that. I'm going to close this, but one thing that um, I, I saw one of your quotes, and it just made me smile. One of the quotes that i seen you wrote, you said, I always felt within me that there was a purpose for why I am here on this earth. i am gonna say it again. I always felt within me that there was a purpose for why I am here on this earth. Do you know I had a, I tell it to people all the time, um, especially those who I know who are thriving to just exhaust their life in a positive way. I always say it's two most important things to happen to your life, two most important. The moment where you were born and a moment when you knew what you were born to do. Because when you know what you are born to do, no one can tell you different, no one can stop it. You know which direction, you know why you're here on earth. So it's very um. It's enjoyable to see that someone else feels the same way. You know why you're here, Ms Karen, so I appreciate you coming on to the show today. I appreciate just being on your team. I'm gonna do my part as a dietitian. We're gonna work this together. we're we'll gonna keep creating this change that we're both looking for. So I really appreciate you being on today.
1: Thank
0: you for having me. Bye now. Yes. Well guys, as always, take a look at Ms. Karen's website. She has a lot of different opportunities for those um, for educating you giving you routes and ways that you can, you know, do it on on your own or be a part of her organizations. Um, Find her at her website, find her on Facebook, Google her. She's around there somewhere. Take a look at her TED Talk. She has a lot to talk about. She has a lot of life that she is giving out. So be a part of her movement. Uh, Reach out to her. I'm sure she'll respond back. Um, And again, as a dietitian against diets, it's never about the diet. It's about the diet mentality. Take care, guys, and see you next time. Well, thank you again for taking the opportunity to listen to the podcast show. I'm really hoping that the stories that you're hearing that are resonating to yourself, and if they are feel free to share it to others by sharing it via YouTube, sharing it via Facebook, or sharing it via Instagram. Um, And also I want to do a quick shout out to one of my podcast partners. You may have seen their logo before, you may have um, heard of them before, but they're called Undeniably Dairy. I'm sorry, yes, Undeniably Dairy. Let me make sure I say that correctly. Um, Which is really centered around educating about dairy sustainability practices and their undeniably good tasting dairy products. Now, it's really important to know the path of, farm the table when it comes to dairy products. Um, and this platform, Undeniably Dairy, um, allows that to be a hub that brings farmers and consumers together. So many of us, you know, don't understand the hard work that are done every day by dairy farmers. And also many of us may not even know how much heart is put behind the animal care. Now, I remember I've gone to a couple of farms myself, um, but one farmer told me, and I will never forget, he said, um, happy, healthy cow always produces the highest quality of milk. So that makes sense to me why animal care is so important and why it's top priority. If you're curious about getting to know where your dairy products come from um, and also the real work done and seeing the things behind the scenes, go to usdairy.com and learn of the stories, learn of the processing and learn all the the sustainability practices that undeniably dairy is doing for our consumers and for our earth. Take care guys and I will see you next week.